one into the night. Jimmy Rollins is going to try for three. Here he comes. In the air, down the right field line. Way back there. On an RBI hit by Mitchie Poole. Here's the throw to the plate. It's in the air. He is. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast. I'm Nathan Ackerman coming at you with another episode of the pod after the Phillies' first homestand of the 2023 regular season, in which they either went four and two or three and three. We are recording this on Wednesday. This will be out on Thursday at some point. So Either way, a significant improvement from the first week for this team, and either way, definitely some frustrating, um, you know, play by this team through uh, the first what is going to be 12 games here in 2023. But joining me to talk about all of that, Scott Lauber of the Inquirer. Scott, thank you so much for hopping on the pod. How are you? Of course, Nathan. Um, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well, too. So why don't we get right into it? Obviously, the first um, six games here at home, they were kind of up, kind of, you know, they, some of the 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 same problems that we saw in the first week are definitely here in week two. They obviously won a couple more games, two or three more games. But I want to start with how the weekend started, um, obviously raising the NL championship pennant, the rings, all that kind of stuff. You were there in the stadium for, um, well, you can you can say which days you were there for, but what what was that whole all the festivities like what was the energy in the stadium like when all that was happening yeah so as we sit here we're recording this before the wednesday game the final game of the the homestand so you're catching me on my packing for cincinnati day and <laughs> um it's been it's been um good to be back right at citizens bank park after the season started on the road um with the six games, three in Texas and three in New York, and not very good baseball at that from the Phillies during the majority of that trip. So I think they were happy to be home. Uh, and I think that it was an opportunity, at least on Friday and on Sunday, it was an opportunity to think back to last year. And I found myself thinking back a lot on last year, especially on Friday, opening uh, home opener delayed by one day. It did not rain. I should point out on Thursday, not until much later, but I think everyone kind of needed that day to sort of decompress a little bit and to think back, gave us a little bit more time to think back to last year. And so I did a lot of that myself um, uh, on, on Friday and, and thinking back to the month that they had in October and early November and everything that went down at Citizens Bank Park and what the atmosphere was like and um not really knowing if it would ever be like that again. I mean, I was lucky enough to cover the Phillies um, in 2007, eight and nine, when it was the coolest place to be in South Philly, right? Citizens Bank Park. And that's where everybody wanted to go. And um, I moved away for a bunch of years and came back to cover the Phillies again in 2018 and didn't really know if it would ever be that way again. Not because the team would never be good again, but because the world was different and baseball occupies a little bit of a different place for a lot of people now than it did then and my goodness it really it, it came back last October and November in a big way and so it was an opportunity to think about a lot of that they obviously raised the pennant as you mentioned um, there was kind of a I think sort of the moment that I'll remember from that was the pennant raising with Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins being out in Ashburn Alley raising the uh, the, the banner um, it was a creative uh, use of the two of them because obviously they're, they're not on the field and they can't be a part of this right now as, as active players. Uh, but to have them out there in uniform, I think people were excited to see them. It was, it was pretty nice. I'll be honest to hear Reese Hoskins get the ovations that he got both on Friday and Sunday. Um, I'm someone who thinks he's sort of criminally underappreciated around here in a lot of ways. And to see him, um, see him get that recognition was was a nice touch those rings i can tell you are enormous um they john were, middleton yeah. uh tried them on right in front of me um he had the uh he had the 1980 ring on he had the 08 ring on and then he had the national championship ring from last year which is like double the size of even the 08 world series ring so that was something to see and um 
and, and all of that. So like I said, I think it gave everyone an opportunity to kind of get it out of their system a little bit, um, remember it, appreciate it, and then move forward into 2023 for real. And um, yeah. they've played better on this homestand. Still have a lot of things to clean up, which I'm sure we'll get to. But, um, you know, just a good opportunity to kind of think back to a lot of those moments from the bat spike to the home run that Harper hit against the Padres to the World Series itself, and then to kind of say, okay, let's move forward now and into a new season. Yeah, I, I kind of – I'm glad you brought out the – the you brought up the rain out that was not um, – because to me it kind of felt like how it felt last year where – when you need them to get into it, they will, right? They kind of, in October and September, sort of down the stretch there, they they kind of stumbled into the playoffs, if you will. And then, you know, they won game one against the Braves, and then they lost game two, and what, what was kind of a bummer of a, of a game, and it was all like, oh, are people really going to be in? And then you get to game three back at home, and it's just insane and then this year you kind of have you know it, it obviously wasn't like it was in October it wasn't quite that um rowdy if you will but you know they start off one and five and everybody's like this team was supposed to be so good and now they're going to come home like are we going to boo them when you know they haven't even played a game yet um and then they sort of get that day off to be like okay we have this to sort of anticipate um they come back and again it wasn't like the playoffs but the way that the fans were sort of into things there, you would have thought that they were four and two or five and one. So I thought that that was, as you said, a much needed, um, a day to kind of just like step back and say, this team is very frustrating. It has also been six games and what they did last year was something that uh, we won't forget. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the ways that I think the, the world is different now from 2008, nine, and maybe I'm retroactive remembering this or misremembering this but we live in like this footballization of 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 sports now right where we want to yeah. take every game and break it down and totally. analyze it and turn it into something meaningful i mean they play 17 games in the nfl and, and every game is significant and you know i think when they got home at one and five you know if you did the math um it was like the midway through the first quarter of an NFL season, you know, like yeah. that's how long the baseball season is. And one of the frustrating things for me, someone who does what I do is trying to put into perspective, like a single game, right. Or in this case, I find this part of the season to be difficult because you're trying to make some sense of what you're seeing, but really what you're seeing is such a small snapshot of what it's ultimately going to be that you don't want to make too much or too little of, of any one thing. And I did think it was somewhat refreshing that even at one in five, you know, at least fans that I heard from on, you know, via email and, and on social media, there was more of like this sort of sentiment of like, well, it's, it's early, like relax, like let's not panic yet. And I don't know whether that's like the goodwill that's built up from a postseason run that went to game six of the world series, or if, it was just the way last year unfolded. You know, everybody remembers 22 and 29, firing the manager, getting really hot, losing Bryce Harper, um, getting hot again, losing Zach Wheeler, stumbling down the stretch, making the playoffs. You know, the season has so many different fits and starts to it um, that maybe people learned a lesson along the way last year or, you know, maybe a week or two from now if um, if they haven't rolled off a bunch of wins, people are going to be frustrated as, as usual and we'll say, like, we're back to being the way we are in terms of reaction to every little thing. But I did I did think that somewhat um, on this homestand, there was some of that, some perspective at least of like, okay, it's really early. They're sort of feeling it, feeling it out here. Uh, they're dealing with some things injury-wise that a lot of teams are dealing with right now, and they're not alone in that. But they are going to get Bryce Harper back, and they think they're going to have Andrew Painter here at some point later in the season, and – uh, I'm sure Dombrowski will make moves here and there and there's sort of faith in the fact that he will do that. So maybe, maybe there is a little bit of like lessons to be learned out of last year that um, it is a long season and it's going to look very different uh, a month from now, two months from now, and certainly four or five months from now than it does right now. Yeah. And I think part of the reason why one game holds so much weight is it's all that we have to go off at this point. I mean, we're on game 12 now, but I don't think that's all of it. Um, I just I think back to I've heard a lot of people say if this happened in 
you know, July, nobody would talk about it. But then I think back to last year when, you know, Harper goes out, they play really well heading into the all-star break. They come out of the break and then they get swept by the Cubs at home. And if I remember correctly, the sky was falling when that happened. So I think that it's, it's, yeah, it's like partially that we don't have that much to work with at this point, but I think it's also largely that like, you know, this team, especially with this team, right? They, we, we know what they've been for the last 10 years or so, obviously with last October um, aside. And we know that like, if there's any fan base who I think is justified in thinking that, oh, the season's cursed or things are just not going to work out this this year, it's probably this one. So, um, you know, I think you just have to kind of take it with a grain of salt. I, I don't think that they are a one in five or a four in seven team or four in eight team. Um, I think that they'll write the ship. It's just a matter of are they going to fall too far behind? I mean, last year when they sort of made that change at the end of May, and then they played 600 ball for the rest of the season. It was great. They were still 14 games out of first place by the end of it. So, you know, you 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 kind of don't really want to fall too far into that hole where you can't climb out of it. But the rest of the National League East hasn't, you know, started off super hot either. So I guess we just have to see how it, how it, how it plays out. Yeah, I think it's the old cliche, right, that you want to control what's within your control. You know, yeah. so... Um, Look, they were able to control how they played from June 3rd on last year, and they played really well. They actually were, as John Middleton reminded me on the first day of spring training, they actually were, um, had almost an identical record after June 3rd to the Mets. Now, the Braves played out of their minds for yeah. the final four months of the year, and so the gap between the Phillies and the Braves didn't really narrow as much as you would have imagined if I had told you the Phillies were going to play 600 ball from June 3rd on. But you can't control what the Braves do. You can only control what you do. And the Phillies put themselves in a hole um, that they almost didn't get out of. I mean, they didn't clinch until game 160. I still maintain, and there will be people who disagree with me, that if they hadn't played the Nationals in the second to last week of the season, they yeah. were in major trouble. You know, coming out of Chicago, getting swept. Uh, they get crushed in that first game of that doubleheader in Washington. And you start to think, are they going to blow this? Like, are they going to actually blow this? And if it hadn't been the Nats for the next three games, who knows? The Nationals so, are always there you, when you need them. They really are, aren't they? So, you know, you except when you only play them uh, 14 times instead of yeah. 19 times, as they will this year. So, you know, um, I guess it's my long way of saying, right, that you kind of play the schedule that that's in front of you and you control what you can and and – and so I think that, um, look, they believe that they're a good team and they think that they're going to be there in the end, uh, in the postseason again. And, you know, until they give you evidence to the contrary uh, over a large enough sample, you probably need to kind of um, look at what you saw last season and lean on that a little bit and believe that, uh, that they'll figure it out, right? For the same reason that you think three starts into the season that Aaron Nola is going to get it together because he's gotten it together over the years. Um, that's why you sort of are not overly concerned about what these three starts have looked like. If it was someone, if it was Bailey Falter, you'd be thinking like, how do we replace this guy in the rotation? Cause he just doesn't have the track record to fall back on. So I think that that, that same thing applies really for the team at large. And uh, um, you know what they did the last really four months of last year. And then the postseason does go somewhere, I think in terms of, making you feel a little bit com more comfortable that they'll they'll figure it out and they'll figure out how to how to be better. Yeah, I want to get into one of the guys who will go a long way in helping them get back there. Just when you think that Bryce Harper is you know going to be out for several months, he's like, yeah, I could hit in a minor league game right now. Um, Rob Thompson provided that update of sorts yesterday or two days ago. Um, I, I don't really know where, where to start with him. I mean, it's just it. They, they said at first it would be like around the all-star break and then it was they wouldn't put him on the 60 because maybe he'll be back by the end of May and then it was he could play in a minor league game now. I don't think they're going to rush this thing, but just where 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 do you think they're at? Where are you at with Harper's timeline and um, how soon you could foresee them having him back in, in the lineup? So, I mean, look, I see what everyone sees in terms of what he's doing on the field. You know, mm -hmm. I see him taking batting practice on the field. I see him um, doing things that 
look, I wasn't sure I would see him do this soon, but I also wasn't sure that I wouldn't. I mean, if you think back to when he had the surgery, all we were told at the time was he would return by the all-star break. Now that is a, that was an intentionally vague timeline. What does that even mean? Right. Because if he returns on, right. If he returns on July 1st, he'd have returned by the all-star break. If he returns on June 1st, he would have technically still returned by the all-star break. So it was an intentionally vague timeline and we were not given any idea by him or by anyone what the markers would be along the way. So somebody asked me the other day, like, are you surprised to see him hitting on the field right now? And I said, I don't know because no one's ever told me when he would hit on the field. Now, you know, sort of the, the timeline that I've been going up on is, you know, what other position players have done who've had this surgery. And it's not a large group. It really isn't. And there also is not necessarily an apples to apples comparison because a lot of times what happens is I talked in the off season with Luis Gonzalez, the former outfielder for the Diamondbacks. Now he had Tommy John surgery. He was an outfielder, but he had his in the middle of the season uh, when he had his. So like you can't, so he was full go when spring training started, but you know, I actually said to him, I'm like, if spring training had started that year in the middle of January, would you have been full go? And he said, I don't know. It's started when it started. So like, there's really not a whole lot of like carbon copy to put this over to say like, this is what such and such looked like. So this is what Harper will look like. Um, the one I've been using is Shohei Otani because it took him 182 days from the operating table to DHing, And mm-hmm. he had his surgery in October Harper had his in November. You can sort of apply the 182 days and say, okay, well, that would put Harper at like the end of June. And I kind of thought, well, maybe there were some unique aspects to Otani's recovery because even though he wasn't going to come back yet as a pitcher, he is also a pitcher. And so I'm sure that there were things along the way that he could not do because they had to be a little bit more careful. Um, so I've been looking at June 20th. That's kind of the date I've had circled. It's the start of a homestand against the Braves and Mets. And I still tend to think that it's going to be around there. Now, maybe he beats that. Um, and and maybe it's earlier in June. Uh, it certainly looks like he's got his foot on the accelerator. But, you know, I think he learned some lessons last year when he came back from the thumb. I think he learned that, you know, yeah. three days of raking in AAA is probably not enough. Yeah. You know, because he came back and was really kind of struggled for about a month after he got back. I remember him telling me a number of times that like in the minor leagues for three days, he saw mostly fastballs and he crushed them. But Mm -hmm. when he started to see off speed, it was the quality of off speed he wasn't seeing in triple A. So I think he learned a little bit that from a just readiness standpoint, forget even just making sure the elbow's ready, but just from a, I'm ready to hit in the major leagues again. I think he knows he's got to take a little bit more time this time around. Um, They aren't going to rush him. They are still wary of things like sliding. You know, he's doing controlled sliding right now, like literally on his knees and he just leans forward. Now you've got to like, you've got to do that in more of a game situation to make sure that it holds up and that you're not putting yourself at risk um, with the elbow. So there are a lot of boxes he still needs to check. And I know when they when they didn't put him on the 60 day, there was this like hysteria, like, oh, my gosh, he's going to be back by Memorial Day. And maybe he will be. But I I'm still thinking it's going to be like middle of June and that will be by the all star break. And technically speaking, and, and and we'll see him then so they can say, look, he beat the timeline. So I just I kind of think that's still the the, the thing. Now, maybe if we're having this conversation a week from now, two weeks from now and we see him doing some more of these other other things. Uh, I'd be more inclined to bump that up a little bit. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it's going to be in June. Maybe it'll be closer to June 1st than July 1st. But I think it's going to be at some point in June. And, and um, you know, that probably is the best case scenario. I don't know if he was going to get back any faster than he will get back. I wanted to ask you about the sliding thing, because I know that that's more the issue than the batting is. How practical do you think it would be to say, 
And I understand that it would be easier with other players than it would be for Bryce Harper because this is just not who he is. But how practical do you think it would be to say, look, you're going to hit. You're obviously not going to play in the field. When you get on first, take your lead off a foot from the bag. Don't steal. Don't take the extra base unless you are 150% sure that you can make it without having to slide. That that hitter, that player, I think is still very good. Like one of the best players in the sport, obviously not as good as he would be if he can do all of those things, but his strength is his bat. And if you say, don't run into a few extra outs on the base paths, honestly, that would help this team. We're going to talk about some of that in a in a bit here. But do you think that's that's practical or do you think it's just not something you can tell a guy like that to say, hey, don't slide, just hit? Or is it something that they don't want to risk because he's still here for another eight more years and they don't want to, you know, push the envelope with that kind of thing for him? Yeah, I look, I, I think it's probably not practical. Uh, number one, as you said, it's really not how he's wired. You know, yeah. if he hits one in the gap. You could tell him 100 times, do not slide in the second, do not slide in the second. He is probably going to just naturally slide in the second. Yeah. Like try to hustle out a double and slide in the second. So, you know, I think you get him on the field and you could tell him these things until you're blue in the face. He's probably not going to be able to control himself. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, But I also think, and again, like I know the games count the same in May that they, that they do in September. But if this was later in the season and that was like the last box that needed to be checked and you could have him on the field otherwise and – you could have his bat in the lineup otherwise, and then maybe you could you could say, like, all right, let's see what we can get away with. Um, I just don't think they want to risk losing him because something, you know, totally freakish out of their control, out of his control, happens on the field. And, you know, he you know, the elbow does something it's not supposed to do, or that you didn't yeah. plan on it doing, and now you're he has a setback. I think that's the last thing that you want to have happen. So, you know, if the difference is getting him back on May 20th versus June 10th or June 15th, they'll yeah. probably err on the side of caution. They Not probably, they will. I mean, Rob Thompson made a funny comment the other day, like when he does return and he's on the bases, he's going to have a brace on the elbow. But if he hits one in the gap and he's rounding first, you can't have the first base coach hold out a brace and have him grab it and put it on as he's running. So, you know, you just don't want anything to happen that you can't control uh, before it's ready to just happen. And, um, you know, so I think from a practical standpoint, it's probably not, you probably can't really figure that out. It's probably not a step that you could skip uh, until he's ready to go. Yeah. Reese Hoskins too spoke about, um, sort of his his timeline I think it was the first time he spoke to the media yeah. since he tore his ACL toward the end of spring training there um, two parts here but I want to start first with just speaking with him having him you know stand up there obviously it's somebody you could I could see his face when he was raising the pennants on Friday it he just looked so bummed he was like this is cool but man I want to be playing so what was it like to get to talk to him, how did he sound? How's he? How's how's he going about this whole thing? O obviously, horrible timing for any player, but especially for him with the contract and with the team, and um, it's created its own set of on-field problems for the team. But what was it like to sort of hear from him again over the weekend? Yeah. Um, so I've covered him uh, throughout really his whole time. In, with the Phillies in the big leagues, except for when he first got up in 17. I was still covering the Red Sox that year, but from 18 to now. And so I think I've gotten to know him pretty well. And, you know, he's, he's usually a pretty honest guy. He's usually, he'll usually tell you how he's feeling. He doesn't usually um, put on a, a facade. And I think we saw that the other day. Um, on the one hand, he sounds like he's handling it great, right? He sounds like he's got a really great perspective on things. Of course, he's going to look at Kyle Schwarber, who made it back in 2016, and think, I can do that too, um, should the Phillies get back to the World Series. You want him to think that he could be ready by then and could help as a DH in the World Series or something like that. Now, could he really? Is it realistic? 
who knows? I, I, you know, I, I think Schwarber got back about as fast as you can from that sort of injury. And uh, it all lined up, of course, with the Cubs making it to the World Series and him having the opportunity to DH and, and all of that. So the stars would have to align. But on one hand, you hear him say things like that and you hear him talk about what the ovation meant to him and what the, just those two ceremonies meant to him. And you kind of think like, man, this guy's in good shape. Like, how would I be if, if I were in his shoes? And then, you know, you start to ask him more questions and you peel back some more layers. And he says things like, you know, I've asked myself why a lot. Like, why did this happen? And you can tell that he's really kind of grappling with it and that, that there is kind of this sort of mental element of this that. Like, really? Like, it had to happen to me now this year in particular. It's a contract year for him. Um, as much as he wants to say that and does say in one breath that it's much too soon for him to start thinking about his personal situation with his contract, then he says in the next breath, of course, I've thought about it because he's a human being and how could you not think about it? Um, you know, my favorite Reese Hoskins stat is this. Um since 2018, there are seven players who've had four full seasons, so not counting the pandemic year, four full seasons of 25-plus um, of home runs and an OPS plus of 110 or higher. And he's one of them. The other ones are like, and I'm going to leave a few out because I don't have it in front of me, but it's like Paul Goldschmidt, Manny Machado, Aaron Judge, Kyle Schwarber, Nolan Arenado. It's like – yeah. The elite of the elite. Now, you know, Reese Hoskins is a maddening hitter because he gets super hot and then super cold and then super hot and then super cold. And uh, I know people are frustrated with that. He is far from a perfect player. But at the end of the year, you look up and the production is there almost every year. So that's going to be hard to replace. And if he had had another year like that, he was going to position himself for a multi-year deal in excess of $20 million per year. And that's not going to be the case for him now. He's probably going to have to sign a one year prove it kind of deal. And he's already 30 and, you know, there are a lot of implications for him. So um, he's grappling with it. He's dealing with it. He really wants to be out there. Bryce Harper calls him their captain. And, you know, when Bryce Harper says that guy's our captain, I don't take that lightly. Um, I don't think Bryce just throws that out there casually either. I think that's what he means in the clubhouse to a lot of those guys. He's been there as long as anyone except Aaron Nola. So, um, you know, this is difficult for him on a lot of levels, the team level, the personal level. And, you know, maybe it gets a little easier over time. He said he wants to be around the team a lot this season. He will be around the team a lot this season. I think it's going to help him kind of, you know, he'll get through it and he's going to be just fine and he's going to play again and all of that. It's just, you know, it's the road's going to be a little bit harder for him now. Yeah. And I think something that kind of told you pretty much all you needed to know about him was the way that he was received by the fan base on Friday um, and then on Sunday when he got the ring, it was just obviously a rousing applause. You know, I would bet that a lot of those same fans are ones who have gotten on him. And I, I don't think that they've necessarily always been wrong in that. As you said, he's somewhat frustrating of a, of a, of a player. There's more good than, than, than bad, but the bad can sometimes, you know, um, yeah. rub people the wrong way. But I think the way that he was, um, you know, met by the fans, the way that they, that they just, you know, welcomed him when he raised the flag and when he got the ring kind of told you that, yes, there is a lot to sort of, um, well, you know, be, be frustrated about with him at, at times, but at the end of the day, I don't think there's a single person that doesn't like Reese Hoskins as a person. And honestly, I would bet that 99% of the fans would say he makes the team way better when he's on the field than when he's not. So, um, I think that kind of tells you all you need to know about him and how people feel about him. The one thing that it does for them on the field is obviously the lineup is is still good. It's not as good as it you know would be with him in it. Scott, you you wrote a piece on Monday or Tuesday, I believe, about um, what they've been doing at the top of the lineup. You had Stott lead off there on Monday when they got to Sandy Alcantara. He had a few hits there. He's like. Oh, man, I wish I pulled up this stat, but like through 11 games, he has like eight or nine games with two plus hits, which is just absurd. He's batting over 400. I liked that. I liked seeing him at the top of the lineup. What I didn't like was that he was eighth the very next day. I get that it's a left-hander on the mound, but 
it just seems like he's, I mean, he's, he's hitting 400. The guy can hit. He's done well against left-handers this year. He got a big two-out hit uh, against Lazardo on Tuesday. And then, you know, took a big turnaround first. Um, too large. But I, I what what do you think they can do there at the top of the lineup? They've moved Bohm there. He's been hitting third. And then the next day, he's like hitting seventh. Um, Marsh is like, yeah, he's our everyday you know, he's going to play there every day. And then the next day he's not in the lineup. Um, and then he comes in off the bench and he gets to, and he gets a hit off a lefty. So I'm a little confused. Maybe you have more uh, insight than I do, but what do you think is the sort of long-term plan or at least for the next few weeks or so, maybe till Harper gets back about what they're going to do at the top of the lineup there. Personally, I, I didn't even talk about Schwarber. He's kind of somebody who, is still great. Of course, he had another home run, like 112 miles an hour yesterday on Tuesday. Um, but to me, it's been a lot of not many counts, not many walks, a lot of strikeouts and a lot of home runs, which sounds like a cleanup hitter to me. So what do you think they can, they is sort of the plan with them there? What, what, what would you do at the top of the lineup? How do they sort of configure things as we get into the thick of the season here? Yeah, there's so much to unpack with the lineup right now, and I'm I'm working on a digging in on this on a, for a larger piece coming up, and and just kind of taking a look at some of what is some of what's at play here. And look, there are a few things that we know. I mean, we know Rob Thompson as a manager now well enough to know that he really does not like to juggle the lineup. I mean, if you look at last year when he took over. Schwarber and Hoskins batted one, two, like <clears throat> more than a hundred times in 111 games that he was the regular season that in the regular season that, that Rob Thompson managed the team. Yeah. So at the very top, I think he would love to have a one, two that he could just sort of run out there all the time. Now, some of why um, it was Schwarber Hoskins last year was what other options were there, right? Like, right. um, I don't know how many times now, just in a few weeks, I've heard Trey Turner make reference to the fact that Kyle Schwarber hit 45 home runs last year as a leadoff guy and how unusual that is. And it is unusual, but he let off because he sees a lot of pitches. He gets tends to get on base a decent amount and there was nobody else. There was no Trey Turner here last year. So now you're in a situation where you have Trey Turner, whose um, ability scream leadoff hitter. You have, Bryson Stott, who um, I thought about this a lot the other day, um, midway through last year, I remember talking to Kevin Long one day after batting practice, and he was telling me, you know, I think Bryson Stott's going to lead off one day. And this was, you know, Stott had had a few big hits, but he was still kind of scuffling a little bit. And I looked at him a little bit like, are you serious? And he's like, well, yeah, I mean, like he works good at bats and the quality of that the at bat is good, even if he's not getting the results that, um, that you'd like the quality that the at bat is about as good as almost anybody who's going up there. So they'd really seen improvement out of him. And I know they think that he can handle batting lead off. You still have Schwarber um, who, you know, can hit lead off for you if you need it. So, um, so there's all that. And then there's the fact that right now there's no Bryce Harper and there's no Reese Hoskins. There's not even a Derek Hall. So you need some thump in the middle of the order. Um, so I think one of the things that Stott does at the top of the order is he makes it longer. Now, if you can have Stott batting first, you can have Turner hitting second. And we know he's a very good number two hitter as well. Um, Alec Bohm hitting third. That allows you to slide everybody down, right? Schwarber slides closer to the middle. Castellano slides closer to the middle. Bohm is closer to the middle or in the middle. And so now you've got a little bit more thump in the middle of the lineup, um, when you bring Harper back into the mix, maybe you can um, rejigger things a little bit. Uh, but, you know, that's one of the reasons I like Stott at the top right now is that it does give you a little bit more thunder in the middle where you don't have much. Um, so it's really going to be interesting to see if Rob Thompson's able to at some point settle into a lineup that he likes, that he can keep sort of static, especially at the top, whether that's Stott Turner or Turner Schwarber, the way it, it looked like it was going to be when it started out, one, two, and then maybe you let Stott hit a little lower in the lineup and maybe reset things, ideally after the, the you know, the Harpers and the Castellanoses and the Real Mutos clear the bases. Uh, maybe you can have Stott serve as sort of like a second leadoff guy in the second half of the lineup. 
So it's going to be interesting to see going forward how it, it looks. And maybe it's one of those things where they need to keep juggling and tinkering until Harper comes back just to kind of get as much uh, bang for their buck kind of as they can until that major piece comes back in. And, and maybe that means um, Stott leads off against, against righties, but not lefties. That looks like the way it's going to be right now. It looks like you're not going to see him lead off against a Luzardo like, like he didn't last night, but he will lead off against Alcantara or against uh, Edward Cabrera on Wednesday today. Um, you know, maybe it's going to be two different lineups for a while, one against righties and one against lefties. And they can sort of, mix and match that way. Again, I don't think that's what Rob Thompson wants, but I think maybe it's what he has to deal with right now. And it's the best that, that they can do until they're closer to full strength. One other thing that I find that I found really interesting, and I've been meaning to circle back and follow up with him on this, but Nick Castellanos the other day was talking about how at, at other points in his career with other teams that he's been on, He's batted a little bit closer to the top of the order than he has with the Phillies, whether that's second or third. But he's always had sort of a little bit more protection behind him. In Cincinnati, I think it was Joey Votto who would hit behind him a lot. Obviously, in Detroit, there were plenty of plenty of thump that could hit behind him. And, and how, you know, he's sort of been adjusting, and it seems like he's adjusting well, at least right now, to batting a little lower, maybe not having um, – as much of an experienced hitter behind him as protection. I wonder whether going forward, if that's how he feels like, and they've talked so much about wanting to make him as comfortable as possible to get as much out of him. I wonder whether you take a look at Castellanos as the number three hitter and Harper hitting fourth mm. and sort of see if maybe that's something that makes him feel good or feel comfortable. I have to look back to last year to see if that happened often in the beginning of the season I know later in the season they dropped him lower in the lineup because obviously he wasn't hitting. Um, but just to kind of see if that's maybe a, uh, an alignment that they tried out at all last year. Because for me, um, you, you might be able to go Castellanos, Harper, Real Muto through the middle of the order, or even Castellanos, Harper, Bohm, Real Muto, you know, as three through five or three through six. And if that helps Castellanos a little bit, um, maybe it's worth it. So, there are so many things that they can do if they ever get back to relatively full strength. Uh, but right now it looks like it might just have to be mixing and matching for a little while. Yeah. With, with, with Castellanos, it's kind of a, a chicken or the egg kind of thing, right? It's um, maybe it would help him out to hit with more protection in the lineup, but um, if, well, how do I put this nicely in 2022, he was not great. And so you're not going to hit him third and say, but I mean, to start the season last year, he was, he was hitting fourth, I think they had Hoskins hitting hitting fifth and he started out the season quite quite well there actually so um and he's looked great over the last week or so um so yeah I, I I could see something like that panning out for him too one of the other options is in the in the three hole is Bohm and he's one of three guys who everybody was saying this lineup is stacked it will be otherworldly if him Stott and Marsh take that step this year they've all done that to an extreme um headlined by stop but like also headlined by all three of them because they've all been phenomenal what have you seen out of them collectively um that is sort of you know has has led to these kind of starts that you've seen from them which has just been one of the most encouraging trends and storylines from the team in the first couple of weeks here yeah, I think maybe the most encouraging storyline yeah. because, you know, we've talked about Stott and the start he's off to and Bohm is off to a great start. Marsh, if you subtract the base running mistakes, uh, is off to a great start. I would like to see Bohm, I would like to see Marsh playing every day, and that includes against lefties, um, yeah. uh, as they've talked about wanting to do but have really not yet done. I mean, you're still seeing a lot of Christian Pache against um, – against lefties and I don't really get it. Um, so um, yeah. And it wasn't just us on the outside who were saying like, boy, if these three guys take a step forward this year, it was the Phillies um, and people on the inside within the organization. I had a number of people in spring training tell me, and I think Dave Dombrowski said it publicly, um, but I had a number of people tell me, you know, look, 
if those three guys take a step forward the way the Phillies think they're capable of, it could swing the pendulum from mid-80s win total to low-90s, mid-90s win total uh, if they all step forward. And look, I mean, we've seen enough young players over our time watching baseball, right, to know that it's not always linear. In fact, it's usually not. Usually – uh, even good players take a step back. They might regress before they really move forward. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, the odds that all three of them are going to take that that jump this year probably wasn't great. So far, so good uh, on all three counts. Um, I talked to some people about it in spring training. I wrote about it in spring training. Brandon Marsh said to me in spring training, he goes, I'm good if you want to lump me and Stott in a in a group together, but like Bohm's on a different level already from the two of us. And it looks that way, right? Like it's hard to believe that yesterday was April 11th. And so it was the one year anniversary of I bleeping hate yeah. this place. And, you know, they, they made him available uh, in trades before that. And they had no takers in spring training last year. They um, I think had definite doubts at that point, like, he didn't play almost at all for about a week after that incident. And um, I remember clearly they went to Colorado and I was on that road trip. And I remember talking to Bobby Dickerson in the dugout before a game. And he was pretty honest about it, pretty blunt about it. He was basically like, look, either Alec Bohm's going to play, either he's going to be our third baseman or he's not. And like, yeah. we've reached that point. Like, we're beyond like, oh, this guy, you know, he's got time to grow, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. He's like, we've reached the point where we got to know he's either going to be our guy or he's just not going to be our guy. And he goes, I, he goes, I told him that. And I was like, I don't mean to put pressure on you, but you know, the rubber meets the road at some point and it does for, for everyone in the game. And um, Bobby Dickerson's like, look, I, I didn't make it to the big leagues as a player, not because I didn't want to, it's because I wasn't good enough and maybe you're not good enough. And it turns out Alec Bohm is plenty good enough. So he showed that over the the majority of last season, he's showing that right now. And I do, I think that he's a guy who look, he got bigger and stronger in the off season. Uh, He plays with a lot of confidence now where you didn't really see that from him a year ago. He was very unsure of himself, uh, especially defensively. He would take that to the plate with him. All the time, you would he would wear the frustration all over himself uh, on the field. You could see it. Uh, you don't see that anymore. He's a lot more mature. So Bohm has certainly taken a step forward. Um, Marsh is super interesting because, again, like I said, I think they really want to give him the chance to play every day. Ultimately, I think they will give him the chance to play every day and see if he can do that. They didn't trade Logan O'Hoppy for a part-time center fielder. Yeah. You know, they traded Ohapi because they thought that Marsh could be their everyday guy. And Reese Hoskins put it best to me with Stott in spring training. He said, like, he goes, the only way I can put it is, like, I never really worry about him. You know, mm-hmm. because even when he's he's not getting hits, he's usually taking pretty good at-bats. Um, there's never really any um, – he never really shows you that, like, the game's getting too fast for him. He always seems to be under control, even when it's not going well. Um, He never seems or sounds overwhelmed by anything. And so you get the feeling with a guy like him that he's going to figure it out more often than not uh, before it gets too bad. And, you know, right now he's he certainly looks like um, more than that. He belongs. He looks like he is. someone you could plug in to play second base for you for the next 10 years. Right. He looks that yeah. good. And, and so um, I kind of know what, what, what Hoskins meant when he said that, because you kind of get that feeling like he's just going to, he'll be fine. He's just going to be fine. Whether you bat him first or bat him ninth, whether you, you know, you think about like last year, like what he's been through in the last calendar year, like this guy was their opening day, third baseman uh, last year. He played, um, he played shortstop when Gregorius was out. Then he moved to second when Segura went down. Then he moved back to short when they released DD. Um, you know, he started in the World Series. I mean, he's sort of done a little bit of everything, and he's sort of taken it all in stride. Yeah. So um, I don't worry about him very much at all, and I think that really, you know, he's not going to hit 400, and he's not going to have, you know, he's not going to hit in every game. 
But, you know, I think that the, the good times are going to far outweigh the bad ones with him. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I certainly like what I see from all three of them and, and they need it. They absolutely need it without really um, a whole lot to be sure of right now at first base. And, um, you know, with Harper still being out for a little while, they need those three to continue to play well in order to kind of get them through until the cavalry comes back, so to speak. Yeah. The last thing I want to get to here, Scott, is um, the base running. It's been something that um, has plagued this team. It feels like it's happened 10 times already here through the first 11 games. I'm sure it'll happen um, Wednesday before this pod comes out on Thursday. It seems like even when good things happen, they find a way to make it hurt like that. Like with the 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 Castellanos play on shoot Sunday when Mm -hmm. he hits like the double Schwarber should not have gone home lucked out because the ball hits him Castellano should not have gone home didn't luck out because he was out by 30 feet Stott gets the two run hit yesterday um, takes a huge turnaround first they ended up losing by four runs but I would argue that that was a a big moment in the game because even though they brought it down to 4-3 after being down 4-0 it sort of killed the rally there and then the Marlins kind of ran ran with it I would argue it's already cost them a couple games. I think it cost them Sunday's game. I think it might've cost them Tuesday's game. Um, There was a, there were some mistakes in the series finale, or maybe it was the opener against the Yankees. um, The same game where Marsh let that first ball go by him, which is Mm -hmm. another thing. What as somebody who is in the clubhouse all the, all the time, how do they address this? Who does it come from? It's like you, it's, on the one hand, it's like, do they not practice this stuff? But on the other hand, it's like they've been playing baseball for 20, 30 years. They know how to take a turn around first. They know how to run the bases smart. Why aren't they doing it? Yeah, all good questions. You know, like with Marsh, so the night that night in New York, it was the first game of that series. And, yeah. you, you know, like the first thing you wonder is, okay, like was the stop sign too late? Mm-hmm. And you look back and you really can't see Dusty Wathen on the replay. But you ask Rob Thompson and he says, nope, stop sign was was good. What happened was uh, Marsh looked down, um, didn't pick up the third base coach quickly enough. So in other words, dude, run with your head up, you know, and it happened again a few days later against the Reds at home where he didn't pick up Dusty quickly enough. Um, was running with his head down and he, he turns and gets caught. Um, these are fundamental mistakes, right? Like, yeah, you think, well, they shouldn't happen. Um, but they do, um, because they're human and, um, sometimes they put their heads down. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I know that the instinct is to say like, well, get out there early tomorrow and work these guys and like figure it out and do your fundamentals and all that stuff. And yeah, you know, maybe, maybe it's going to have to come to that. You know, maybe it comes to, you know, Hey, we got to do extra base running tomorrow and um, we got to practice this and, and stuff like that. Um, You know, and sometimes I do wonder also whether it's a matter of over aggressiveness, you know, like there have been so many changes to the game this year all of them, in my opinion, for, for the good, um, not just time of games, which I think are tremendous, but also pace of the games. It's a lot quicker. And, you know, Trey Turner was saying the other day, remember after the, the, the first game against the Reds where they scored 15 runs, he was talking about that big inning that they had against Alcantara. And he said, you know, it was, it was all with two out, right? Stott had the single, stole second. Turner singled him in, stole second. And Turner said, look, the way things are going with the pace of play right now is that if you can get a rally going, it speeds things up even more for the pitcher. Yeah. And so maybe guys are trying to do things on the bases that they wouldn't have tried last year because they're trying to force the issue. Um, you know, and, and I generally don't mind mistakes like that. Like, I know it's frustrating when you watch a guy, you know, get thrown out by 30 feet at second base trying to hustle out a double, but I take a mistake like that over like a fundamental mistake because at least he's trying to make something happen. You got to make them make a throw and maybe the ball gets away and you were dead to rights, but you, you get in there anyway because they miss, they mess something up or 
whatever. Generally, I like that. I like that kind of aggressiveness. So if Stott took that hard turn because he wanted to force a throw or because he was trying to make something happen, I think you could probably live with that a little bit easier than if the guy's running with his head down and doesn't pick up the base coach. So to me, there are different um, there there are different um, mistakes on the bases and different things that are accepted more than others. They're making way too many of them, period, regardless yeah. of what variety of mistake it is. And they're going to have to, as Rob Thompson said, they're going to have to clean it up. And I'm going to be watching to see, like, if we start seeing them do more base running before games um, the way they might if, you know, the defense wasn't great and you're working on cutoffs or you're working on relays or things like that um, if you have a run of bad defense. So I am going to watch for that. But, you know, I do think that they're going to want to um, – you know, clean it up, but also pay attention to what kind of mistakes they're making. And are they the kind that you can live with? Or are they the kind that you just, look, we got to, we got to tighten this up and we got to be better fundamentally about how we run the bases. So, I mean, a lot of the Bryce Harper base running mistakes where he's run, he runs into a, an out, you know, you kind of like, you're like, really, but then, you know, okay, fine. Like I can, I can understand it. Um, he's trying to make something happen. Uh, so I don't know. We'll see how it goes but they do they have to be better because you don't want to make outs on the bases you certainly don't want to make you know outs at third base as much as they're doing and uh running themselves out of rallies which they've done a few times here early on in the first you know 10 11 games so um they'll need to get better at it um but you know again it's the fundamental ones that really bother me more than the ones where they're just trying to cash in on um you know how much quicker the game is being played and trying to force the defense into making mistakes. Yeah. Well, Scott, thank you so much for hopping on the pod again here. I think that's going to be all the time we have for right now. I know you're in the middle of packing for Cincinnati. I will let you get back to that. I don't want to say, I would find it weird to be like, Hey everyone, follow Scott's work because everybody who's tuning into this pod has been reading your work and following your work <laughs> for years. So I'm just going to say thank you again for joining the pod. Always great to hear your insight on this team through uh, about what has been a um, up and down um, they're always entertaining you can't knock them for that it's been um, a fun watch for the first couple of weeks and really appreciate you joining the pod here to share some of your insight of course Nathan anytime all right thank you everybody for tuning in we will talk to you next time